Uh, I'm looking forward to our morning. Um, somebody caught me when, when I first walked in. They said, oh, you must be the preacher for the day. I said, yeah, yes, I guess I am. They said, well, good. We just want you to know one thing as you come to the Salem First Free Methodist Church. Now, you can preach as long as you want, they said, but we leave at 11.15. <laughs> now, apparently, there's something going on between First Free Methodist Church here in Salem and the Baptist Church. We insist upon being at the dinner line first. It's the only time, every other time, we'll be last, except for dinner. We're going to be first. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. It is, uh, it's really exciting for me as I, as I serve as the superintendent here in the Oregon Conference. I get to go to all kinds of churches. I get to go to places like Lebanon. I get to go to Sutherland. I get to go to Newburgh. I get to go to Portland. And now I get to come here to Salem. And we're excited about what God is doing in other environs here in Oregon. Do you realize that the Oregon Conference in the last year, a little, a little over a year, we've planted two churches, uh, both those churches, one is in Portland, um, the other one is in Sherwood, and in the Portland church, they're currently running about 150 to 160 on a Sunday morning after about a year. And the church in Sherwood has had high attendances up to 250, and they're constantly running 180, 190, 200. So for that, we give God the glory. We're also really excited. I don't know, you probably remember, um, I think it was two weeks ago, we were supposed to have this massive rainstorm. I mean, it was going to be like Noah and the ark. And we chose that night to do a conference-wide prayer meeting. And so we were hoping for a lot of folks and ended up having about 125, which was, I thought was incredible. And it was just a time for us to pour our hearts out before the Lord and welcome His will into our lives. And so we're really excited about that. And then this weekend, just kind of keep praying for and with our youth ministry team. And I know some of the youth here at at Salem First are at our camp in Turner. In fact, we have about, um, as I understand it, there's about 90 to almost 100 youth and leaders uh, at a retreat at our camp in Aldersgate. So I say all of that to say God is at work in the Oregon Conference, and it is the result of your prayers and of your hard work. And so I want to just personally thank you, and let's give God the glory, huh? Kind of the second reason that I'm, that I'm here is uh, not only is Pastor Doug away in Florida, so I'm kind of pinch hitting today, which I love to do, uh, but I know that Pastor Doug, a couple of weeks ago, he had some news for you, and it's news that we're all, we're all kind of uh, emotionally grieving about, aren't we? Pastor Doug has been our, ch our pastor here for, um, it will be 13 and a half years next June. And he's announced his retirement. Now, I, I just want you to know that what we need to say to Pastor Doug is that in the work of God, nobody retires. <laughs> we simply re-up. And so he's, he's actually re-upping, and he's going to be moving, as you know, to Florida. And he will be serving Christ there in some phenomenal ways, we're sure. Uh, but that does then leave a bit of... Uh, What's the word should we use? Yeah. If anybody's nervous, it's okay to take a deep breath. 
just let it out. Oh, that's so good. God is in control. This isn't the first time the Salem First Free Methodist Church has gone through a pastoral transition. It won't be the last. But we are intent upon serving the Lord and understanding His will for the next family that comes to service, aren't we? Yes, we are. And I'm going to be meeting with your delegates and with your church board later, as Pastor Gene informed you. Now, sometimes when we go through these pastoral transitions, you get, you get kind of an up-close-and-personal look at how the Free Methodist Church operates. Well, the Free Methodist Church is an appointment system in contrast to a congregational system. So some of you that maybe come out of a congregational background, uh, maybe you were in a church like I was many years ago. I was in a congregational church, and we literally voted on everything. And sometimes it was scary, because sometimes they'd vote on the pastor. Oh, boy. So in the Free Methodist Church, we don't vote on the pastor. What we have is a group of men and women clergy and lay people chaired by the bishop of the Free Methodist Church in the western region, Bishop Matt Thomas, and we are taking the next several months to be praying about the person God would have to lead um, the Salem Church. And so you need to be praying with and for us. Now does that mean that we just kind of choose anybody willy-nilly? No. There's a lot of work, there's a lot of prayer, there's a lot of effort. And one of the things that we want to do, or that I want to do as your superintendent, I want to hear from you. I want to get an understanding of what God is doing here. You're on the ground. I'm not. I live in Portland. I'm going to leave a little bit later, and I'm going to go watch the Dallas Cowboys in my own house. I know you could be praying for that, too. Uh, One of these days, I'll become a Seahawk fan. I'll give it a try. Um... But in the, in the light of that, we want to hear what God is doing here. What are your thoughts, and where do you feel the Spirit of God is moving? And so we just want to be aware of that, available to that, and I am personally available to you um, at any time. So I, I, I was a pastor for many, many years. I served um, a little bitty church one time, started a church one time with just three people. My wife and my eldest daughter, she was 18 months old at the time. By the way, the three children next to my wife, they're mine. <laughs> they're with me. We, we started a church one time. It was just Jelena and me and my 18-month-old daughter. So we've been in churches of, that are pretty small. We also had a chance to be in churches that were kind of large, and, and we had a church once upon a time that that was bumping up around 800 to 1,000. And so we've kind of seen a little bit of everything in between. I know what it's like to go into a church every morning. We were meeting at a daycare center, and I had to clean the bathrooms. And I did that every, every Saturday night or every Sunday morning for years. I know what it's like to serve. And what I want to do for you, and I want to do for Pastor Doug, and I want to do for the sake of the Oregon Conference, and for the sake of the kingdom, I come to serve. And that's, uh, that's probably my, my greatest aspiration and my greatest um, um, purpose. Now, as we serve together this morning, and as I kind of keep an eye on the clock, and you're keeping an eye on the clock, 
You know, I was reminded that, uh, that there are some in our number here that are, that are hunters. I've heard that there are great hunters here at the Salem First Church. And I have heard that they, that they get that animal. And it reminded me, I have got a good friend who is a, who is a great hunter. He's got the, the, wor- the world record in Nevada for bighorn sheep. And uh, it's actually my nephew. His name is, is Scott. And Scott was telling me about um, his desire to kind of get on the right foot going hunting with his soon-to-be wife. And he thought, you know, how does that go down, uh, Chris? You're a pastor. You know people. You know marriages. Does that sound like a good idea? Many are saying that's not a good idea. So they went out hunting, and, and Scott was trying, and, and well, she's, she's kind of a, can I just say, she's a really nice woman, and she's kind of, you know, she loves the outdoors, but she's still kind of, I don't mean this in a bad way, she's still kind of a girly girl. You know what I mean? And, and I'm glad, my girls are girly girls too, and I like that, you know, I just think that's, that's kind of nice every once in a while. And so they're a little nervous about the whole hunting experience. And so finally, you know, Scott said, um, I'm going to go around this way, and you go around this way, and we're going to kind of meet at the backside of this mountain in front of us, and, and we're going to rendezvous back there at about 3 in the afternoon. And so they coordinated. They got everything ready, and Scott went his way, and his uh, fiance went the next way. And I'm not going to tell you her name because you might know her. And, uh, and about, about two hours later, he hears this uh, shot, and it's not just bang, it's bang, 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 bang. You know, it's like, it's like AK or something, right? Or an AR-15 or whatever it's called, like I hunt. <laughs> and Scott is, uh, as you can imagine, he's kind of nervous about this, and so he heads right directly to the sound. And he's hoofing it really, really hard. And he comes upon this scene only to see his wife kind of standing over uh, this animal along with another person. And he heard the other person. It was a man. He said, okay, lady, it's your deer, but please let me take the saddle off of her. (laughs) Yeah, that's not a good day hunting, is it? Um, feel free to share that story freely. If you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now they tell me as we're, uh, by the way, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And so if you go to page 1 or 2 in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be this morning. But they tell me in America uh, that, that we're faced with an election. And now I'm old enough, I'm, 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 I'm going to be 55 in just a couple of weeks. And I think I've worn pretty well for 55. I, my, my wife's really taking good care of me, and I'm excited about what God has for us. But every election year, somebody pops off and says, this is the most important election in our lifetime. Have you noticed the things that they're saying about this election? Oh, my. Does, does conflict sound like a, an interesting, just one-word answer to this election? How about chaos? How about change? 
And I'm wondering, and I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I try to be steeped in the Word of God, and I'm wondering, like the Old Testament people of God, when they would come to the prophet and say, is there a word from God? Does God have anything to say in this time, in this season, in this place? In fact, I, I think he does. I think the question God is trying to kind of get before us is, what kind of God do you and I serve? Is he only simply there on the shelf if we treat him well and rub him well that he gives us the goodies? Or is this the great God of the universe that out of chaos he creates perfection? Genesis chapter 1. Let's read together verse 26. Let's start at verse 24. No, let's start at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with its seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. There was evening. And there was morning. Day six. And here is the creator God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the ends of the earth, he looks into chaos and he creates. He looks into a boiling cauldron and he gives perfect order. And so this morning as we look at this text before us, there are really three questions that we've got to answer before we really start making a couple of comments. And so if you have your pens, I want you to just kind of underline these three things, okay? The first question, what constitutes us in verse 26? Who is the us that God is referring to in verse 26? Secondly, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? So just underline the word us and the word image. And thirdly, what does it mean to be in likeness? So in verse 26, you ought to have three words underlined, us, image, likeness. I think that if we can kind of get some clarity on those three particular words, then some things will become kind of easy for us to understand as we move forward into life in Salem, Oregon in the year 2016. So the first one, what constitutes this, this word, us? 
Well, let's take a look at the context and remember that we're in the the order of the creative days. And God has started in chapter 1, verse 3, with the notion of light. And he's worked through, and he has been very declarative up till now. And God said, and it was so. It's almost as if God is... uh, Uh, speaking into the creative order. He's giving orders, in other words, and the creation just does it. And it is so, day one. And it is so, day two. And it is so, day three. But then we come to day six, and all of a sudden now this, this declarative nature begins to morph ever so slightly. That now God is becoming much more personal and involved. Not only is he declaring things, now he is declaring things and wanting some responses back. So we ask our question again, what constitutes the nature of this us? Well, I got to tell you that over the last 2,000 plus years of history, many have looked at these passages. And they've come up with a variety of interpretations. I'm going to give you a couple of a couple of them real quick if I can. Some think that Moses, in writing the book of Genesis, he's drawing on the polytheism of society at the time in order to help them to understand that this polytheistic God is now the creator God. And that's a, such a bunch of... Uh, can they say this in the church house in Salem? Because it's just a bunch of hooey? I've never heard anything like that that we serve kind of a polytheistic God, a a mini-gods, that that he manifests himself in so many different names. That's not what's going on here. In fact, what seems to be clear to me is that, that all other world religions, all the way going back to recorded history, all world religions that are polytheistic are always erecting what? Idols. And so here is the human creating the idol. But what's interesting that we have here in Genesis chapter 1 is we have the living God creator now interacting with the human. That we know about God. Why? Because he's made man in his own image. It's not men who are making God in his image. This is something that you and I are going to be carefully watching as we work through the text in just a little while. Some have said that maybe the us has to do with the notion of the angelic choir that is constantly crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We read that in the book of Revelation, for example. Well, what I would say there is, is there another time or another place where we have a picture into heaven and God upon the throne and he begins to speak this kind of language? Well, yes, of course, Isaiah chapter 6. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is caught up into heaven and he sees this whole experience of of the angelic um, angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. He sees the smoke and he hears the praise and he sees the living God. And what does he hear? He hears these words. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Hmm. 
could it be that maybe this is not the angelic angel, or, 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 or not the heavenly angels, but that there's something else going on here? Pause for a second. Some have interpreted this as the kind of um, majestic we. We don't have that too much here in America, but in England they have it, right? Because the Queen of England never says, uh, I'm the Queen of England. She always says that, that we rule the United Kingdom, or we do this, or we do that, and you're looking around going, who's the we here? Nah, that's not it either. I'm just asking, as we read through the Scripture, that what we begin to see, and it begins even here in Genesis chapter 1, is the unfolding notion of God being three persons and one essence. That what we're looking at is the unfolding notion or the unfolding doctrine of the very Trinity, and it's all the way back on page 1 of our Bibles. So as God looks around and he says, let us... Make man in our own image. What is he saying? He's having this inner conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit about the very nature of the creative order and what is important. Because what you and I are watching, it seems to me, is that God in the creative days, he's moving toward a consummation. He's moving toward a climactic point. And where, where he's having that conversation is not with the angels, it's not with other gods, it's within his own being. Because God is such a loving and interactive and relational God that he sits back and he says, what would it be like? What would this crowning jewel of creation look like? And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are having this internal dialogue. It begins in Genesis 1, and it begins there, and it is portrayed throughout the entire rest of Scripture. And someday I can come back and we can kind of have some of those conversations about that. So the us seems to me to be that inner, inner working out of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If that's the case, then what do we understand about the term image? Now, it seems to me that as we look at the context of Genesis chapter 1 and the notion of creation, that, that the creation is going somewhere, as we said, and that its climactic point now is before us. And so God has, has created the, the, the lights and the heavens, he's created the earth and the, and the uh, animals, and he's created the vegetation, and now he's looking out and he says, hmm, I need a crown jewel. And I'm going to create this crown jewel in my image. Selam Elohim in the Hebrew, or maybe for those of you who are in the Latin, the Imago Dei. We've got a church actually in Portland called Imago Dei Church. The very image of God. That you and I somehow have within us the very notion of 
divine seal of approval. Joseph Ratzinger, he wrote this, he says that the image of God is simply rooted in our capacity to have relationship with the living God. I think he's on to something here. In fact, I think that this relational notion of the image of God is now built into the Bible, and in fact, if we go to the New Testament, we see the ultimate expression of God's image. And who is that? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So important is this that, for example, the writer of, of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he is the exact, he, Jesus, is the exact representation of God's being. Or perhaps this one in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Christ, Paul says, is the image of God. What is it that the New Testament writers are doing? They're going back to this notion that here in the creative order, in the sixth day, God says, let us make man in our own image. In order for man to know truly who he is and how much he is important to me, I will send one that is about and so Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, when the time became full, God sent forth his son, born, under the law, born of a virgin and born under the law. Why? To redeem all of those who are under the law. That this notion of image is so very important because it pivots on this notion that the quality of our lives is in direct relationship to the health of our relationships. So God says, out of the wonder of a healthy relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, I'm going to create humanity. Now, can I, I, I know this is kind of an absurd question when you think about it. Has the Trinity ever had a fight? Now, I, I lived in the South for a long time. And, and in the South, the Baptists are very, very strong. And I have a lot of Baptist friends. And, and the Baptists like to say that if you get two Baptists in the room, you get three opinions. They like to fight. In fact, the New Testament shows us that Jesus delights to do the Father's will. Jesus came for the explicit purpose to do God's will. What is he saying on the night that he is betrayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. What does he say about the Spirit? That the Spirit is constantly glorifying the Son and the Father. That there is this reciprocity in relationship where each one knows its place and does its purpose in perfection. And so here is God on day six, on chapter... In chapter 1 of Genesis, literally on page 1, trying to give us this beautiful representation of how life is going to be for his creation by giving the crowning jewel as humanity that they would be created in the image of God. Now I know what you're thinking because this is what I think often. Does that mean I get to be all-powerful? 
Just ask my children. Do you have children, by the way? Maybe you could give me some advice. Because I think that because I am the provider of my home, they should listen to what I have to say. Amen! Well, this is a great church. I'm going to hang out here some more. Are you guys hearing any of this? Now, 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 the funny thing about my children is they're all three. They're all adults, and they're all wonderful. My oldest, Lydia, she's a, a, a school teacher actually up here in Woodburn. And my middle daughter, she's actually a flight attendant. So if you're ever on United, flying with friendly skies, and you see Brianna, say hello from Oregon. And then I have this beast of a boy. I don't know what happened. Uh, my father was 5'6", I'm about 5'9", he's about 6'3". Something happened. And uh, he's 18 and he's, um, pray for him, he's headed to the United States Navy. Now I'm not in control of them. And, and, and they make that clear to me every time I try to control them. But here God says, let us make man in our own image. I'm not endowing man with all power. I'm not endowing man with all knowledge. What I am endowing him with is the capacity of relationship. And that out of that capacity of relationship, as we will see a little bit later, I'm going to give man dominion. He's going to rule over the earth. But in that dominion, it is a dominion of relationship in creation and with the Creator. So that it's not my will that is done, but His. Now there's a third term that we have to kind of quickly define. So we define the notion of us, and I think that's an, a hint to the notion of, of Trinity that's going to be portrayed throughout the rest of the Bible. We've also looked at the, the nature of image, that God is stamping his image on us, our capacity of relationship. What is likeness? Does that mean that somehow, um, I, I just have to ask, does God look like me? Or does he look like you? What, 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 what do you mean by this, this idea of of likeness. And the, what, what, what is happening, it seems to me, in Scripture is, again, that God is going to the nth degree to invite us into his presence. Have you ever noticed, for example, in world religions, world religions, almost all of them have to do somehow with mankind working his way to God. That somehow I'm going to have the right idol, or I'm going to pray the right prayer, or I'm going to burn the right incense, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and suddenly I do all the right things and God owes me. That's how world religions work. But did you notice how the Bible is structured? That it is God who comes to man, and how does he come to man? Not in dreams, not even in revelations, not even in his word, although he comes in his word to communicate, but his highest expression of coming to man is what? His son Jesus, 
who we already said is the exact representation of his being. That Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when we're talking about God making us in our likeness, it is this notion, it is this capacity of entering into not just a relationship that expresses God, but now that knows God. Wow. And so now all throughout the Bible you have people coming to us, whether they be prophets or kings, whether they be um, simple shepherds, and their ultimate desire is that they may know the living God. Who is he? What is he like? What does God have to say into our situation? Now, I know that I'm getting old, I know that God loves the U.S. of A. Hallelujah. I have a feeling that God loves things more than just nations. That his ultimate desire is this capacity of relationship. And this is why Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will. This is why John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son. That he is establishing relationship with people like us. What kind of God do you serve? Is he the God that's so far away that he somehow wound up the creation like a clockmaker and is letting it run down? Or is he the God that created the universe? And out of the universe picked one man from Ur of the Chaldees named Abraham. It's almost like God has this this telescopic lens. He looks out over the whole world and he takes one man, Abraham. And he makes promises to Abraham and Abraham makes promises back to God. They enter into a thing called covenant. And all of a sudden this great God of creation is now called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that out of that, a nation exists. It it, it comes to fruition. It's the nation of Israel. And so again, this telescopic lens is really, really wide at creation. It narrows in on Abraham, and then it spreads out again into Israel. And a little bit later, it narrows down once again out of Israel into a particular tribe, the tribe of Judah. And in a particular family, the family of David. To a particular ancestor of David, and his name is Jesus. Because God is trying to show that as the ultimate creator and ground of reality, that really it's about relationship with Jesus. What kind of God do you serve anyway? His name's Jesus. He's come to save his people from their sins. Well, I've pastored a lot of a lot of churches in a lot of different places. But for the life of me, I can't get out of my mind one family that I had. Their name was Rod and Jill, and they were grandparents to a young man named Chris. It wasn't me. But Chris um, got into his mind that he wanted to adopt a child. And so they began to look at the notion of adoption, that that their heart and their family was large enough and their love was great enough that they could welcome in one more person into their family. They began to pray about this, and they began to research this, and Chris and his wife, they kind of put their finger down in Russia. 
not just Russia, but in Siberia. Not just in Siberia, but at a camp where moms and dads life expectancy were only at about 30 years of age. And typically the children had were developmentally handicapped. And they began to pray and they began to long and they began to work. And then they heard about Anna. And it took them two years. A lot of paperwork. A lot of disappointment and a lot of discouragement, but they kept on track. And they brought Anna from Siberia to Kansas. I know what you're wondering. Is there any difference? (laughs) They brought Anna home to Kansas. And my friends Rod and Jill, they went to see them for the first time. Now, Rod, i got to tell you, Rod is a retired Army colonel, and he is ramrod straight. And uh, he used to give me a little slip of paper after every sermon, you need to work on this, Chris. Uh, So I'm welcome to those at at the back. Please leave them with the people in the sound booth. And so Rod and Jill, they went to see Anna. And then they came home, and I said, how did it go with, with this new baby? Well, she wasn't a baby. She was five years old. And she said, you know, uh, Rod and and Jill, they were talking to me, and they said, you know, we had this really exciting experience that taught us something about the God we serve. I said, do tell. He said, you know, the first night we sat down to the meal, and, uh, you know, we brought him, got him at the, met him at the plane, and and brought her home, and introduced her to our house, and introduced her to her two older brothers who were like 16 and 14, you know, big burly boys. And she was a little timid, and we sat down for our evening meal, and we prayed, and we we were so thankful, and we gave God thanks for for his good gifts and giving us Anna, and she has a real hard time, you know, as you can imagine, with English, and uh, she was just kind of overwhelmed. You can imagine, right? And they laid out the the, the meat and the the taters and the salad, and, and it was just a huge feast, and You can imagine with two teenage boys what was going on, right? They were just heaping it on their plate. But Anna um, was just a little bit. And she ate it, and she was, like, really nervous and wondering, what's going on? And, of course, Chris and his wife, they were trying to discern what was happening in Anna. And and finally, Ramrod Strait, Mr. United States Army Colonel, Rod, he says, I know what's going on. And he says, Anna, will you come with me? Took Anna by the finger. Said, Anna, opened up the pantry. Do you see that sack of potatoes? Huge sack of potatoes. We're never going to run out of potatoes here. Anna, let's go to the refrigerator. It was one of those big, you know, double wides. Opened up both sides. Anna, do you see what's in there? Carrots and celery and lettuce. And did you see the milk, Anna? There are three gallons of milk. And you know what? If they're gone tomorrow, we can go down to the store and we can get five more if we want. And then, Rod said, I opened up the freezer. Anna? Your new daddy, Chris, likes ice cream. And there's ice cream in there 
by the gallon. There's a gallon here of this kind and a gallon there of this kind and a gallon of that. I mean, Anna, you're never going to run out on on high school. Brought her back, sat her down. She said, can I have some of those potatoes? Because we're never going to run out. See, Anna, what kind of family did you come into? This is not like the family back in Siberia where things are really, really tight and things are really, really hard. We're your family, Anna. And we are so committed to you, Anna, that we're going to take care of you. And you're never going to have to worry another day about the possibility of not eating. You're never going to have to worry about somebody who isn't there to love you and care for you. What kind of family do you think you've got there? So the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God that meets at Salem First Church. What kind of family do you have? What kind of father are we serving? Father who is Lord of creation and Father over his family. That he welcomes you and I into a relationship of loving obedience. So maybe this morning you came, maybe this is your first Sunday here at Salem Church. You're wondering, does God have a word for me? Does he even care? Well, friend, I want you to know how much he cares, friend. He cares so much that he gave his one and only son. Maybe, maybe you've been here at Salem Church for a long time. And you're thinking, well, yeah, that all works for people like Anna, but does it really work for me? I just want to tell you, you're welcome at our table. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse us all from sin. He's here for you. You see, in just a couple moments, we're going to turn it over to Pastor Gene. And he's going to remind us of the night that Jesus was betrayed. That he took two items and made them symbols for his church forever. That we can take a look at these items and remember God's love perfected in his son Jesus. When the body, when the body was broken and Jesus likens it to bread. That man doesn't live simply on bread alone, but by every word that God speaks. Then he gave them the cup. And he reminded them that this was the cup of the new covenant. That this wine is a representation of his blood. Oh, my friends, how much he desires to have relationship with God on that sixth creative day said, let us make humankind in our image and in our likeness. Would you bow your head? Would you pray with me? And Father, in this moment where we sit back in a reflective mode to allow the good word of God to enter into our hearts, And to remember 
very height and depth and length and breadth of Christ's love and to partake together at this table. A table that will never run out. That we do this, Lord, proclaiming your life, your death, your resurrection until you come again. And for many of us, Lord, as we partake of this meal, we're looking forward to that final meal that we will have in heaven at that wedding supper of the Lamb. So as we come to Selah, Lord bless. Lord, perhaps there are some this morning that would like to come to an altar and pray. Maybe there are some this morning who need special counseling and that I would be available with Pastor Gene or other of our staff. Oh, that the Spirit of the living God would take these moments and drive home your love to our hearts. In Jesus' name.